So glad you could be here for another Todd Talk, where we take teaching theory and turn it into teaching practice. For today's Todd Talk, we're going to start out with an activity. What I'm going to do is I'm going to flash up a series of numbers and letters. And so what I want you to do is to pay attention to what is flashed up here. And then I'm going to ask you a question and we're going to test on how well you do on this. And now for your question. You were shown several numbers uh, in the sequences. And the question is this, what single digit number were you not shown? I'll give you a few seconds to think about this. The answer is six. Now, if you didn't get it correct, don't beat yourself about, about it. There were a lot of extenuating circumstances that made this a very difficult question. So one thing was that there were different configurations. So for example, there were some single digit numbers and some single letters. There were sometimes multiple digits or multiple letters. Sometimes there was a mix of numbers and letters. And so that can cause some confusion. The second thing that made things more challenging is that some were on for longer periods of time than others. So there, one may have only been up for their first single second and one might've been up there for five seconds. And so you had to be really quick with what you were paying attention to. The third thing is that there may be some confusion. So there was an H and a zero, but that could have easily been mistaken for an O. Uh, at one point there was an, a lowercase L shown and that could have been mistaken for a one. And so there might've been some confusion with some of that as well. A fourth thing is that I was talking during the first few numbers and letter sequences and so you were having to multitask. You're having to listen to the directions I was giving and pay attention to what you were seeing on the screen. This is very challenging to do this and causes a lot of confusion. The fifth and most important factor that probably made this really difficult is you didn't know the question. The question was unknown to you, so you didn't know what to be looking for, what to be memorizing, what to be to, to, to try to remember because you didn't know what the question was. Oftentimes, this is what happens to students, and this is what leads us to today's Todd Talk topic, which is working memory. So working memory is, of course, in, in a simplistic uh, definition, is one's ability to remember for short periods of time, and then being able to take what you remember and apply it to something. This is, you know, learning at its, learning 101. But there's a lot more to it. So I'm gonna let this TED Talk explain to you what working memory is. So yesterday, I was out on the street in front of, the, uh, front of this building, and I was walking down the sidewalk, and I had company, several of us, and we were all abiding by the rules of walking down sidewalks. Hey, we're not talking to each other, we're facing forward, we're moving. When the person in front of me slows down, and so I'm watching him, and he slows down, and finally he stops. Well, that wasn't fast enough for me. So I put on my turn signal, and I walked around him. And as I walked, I looked to see what he was doing, and he was doing this. He was texting. 
and he couldn't text and walk at the same time. Now, we could approach this from a working memory perspective or from a multitasking perspective. We're going to do working memory today. Now, working memory is that part of our consciousness that we are uh, aware of at any good time of day. You're doing it right now. It's not something we can turn off. If you turn it off, that's called a coma. Okay? <laughs> so right now, you're doing just fine. Now, working memory has four basic components. It allows us to store some immediate experiences and a little bit of knowledge. It allows us to reach back into our long-term memory and pull some of that in as we need it. Mixes it, processes it, in light of whatever our current goal is. Now, the current goal isn't something like, I want to be president or the best surfer in the world. It's more mundane. I'd like that cookie. Or I need to figure out how to get into my hotel room. Okay? Now, working memory capacity is our ability to leverage that. Our ability to take what we know and what we can hang on to and leverage it in ways that allow us to satisfy our current goal. Now, working memory capacity has a fairly long history and it's associated with a lot of positive effects. People with high working memory capacity tend to be good storytellers. They tend to solve and do well on standardized tests, however important that is. They're able to have high levels of writing ability they're also able to reason at high levels. So what we're going to do here is play a little bit with some of that. So I'm going to ask you to perform a couple tasks, and we're going to take your working memory out for a ride. You up for that? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give you five words, and I just want you to hang on to them. Don't write them down. Just hang on to them. Five words. While you're hanging on to them, I'm going to ask you to answer three questions. I want to see what happens with those words. So here's the words. Tree. Highway, mirror, Saturn, and electrode. So far, so good? Okay. What I want you to do is I want you to tell me what the answer is to 23 times 8. Just shout it out. In fact, it's exactly. All right. I want you to take out your left hand, and I want you to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's a neurological test, just in case you were wondering. All right. Now, what I want you to do is to recite the last five letters of the English alphabet backwards. You should have started with Z. All right. All right. How many people here are still pretty sure you've got all five words? Okay. Typically, we end up with about less than half, right? which is normal. There'll be a range. Some people can hang on to five, some can hang on to 10, some will be down in two, two or three. What we know is this is really important to the way we function. Okay? And it's gonna be really important here at TED because you're gonna be exposed to so many different ideas. Now, the problem that we have is that life comes at us and it comes at us very quickly. And what we need to do is to take that amorphous um, flow of experience and somehow extract meaning from it with a working memory that's about the size of a pea. Now, don't get me wrong, working memory is awesome. Okay? Working memory allows us to investigate our current experience as we move forward. It allows us to make sense of the world around us. Okay? But it does have certain limits. Now, working memory is great for allowing us to communicate. We can have a conversation and I can build a narrative around that. 
So I know where we've been and where we're going and how to contribute to this conversation. Allows us to problem solve, critical think. We can be in the middle of a meeting, listen to somebody's presentation, evaluate it, decide whether or not we like it, ask follow-up questions. All of that occurs within working memory. It also allows us to go to the store and allows us to get milk and eggs and cheese when what we're really looking for is Red Bull and bacon. (laughs) Got to make sure we're getting what we're looking for. Now, a central issue with working memory is that it's limited. It's limited in capacity, limited in duration, limited in focus. We tend to remember about four things. It used to be seven, but with functional MRIs, apparently it's four. We were overachieving, all right? (laughs) Now, we can remember those four things for about 10 to 20 seconds unless we do something with it, unless we process it, unless we apply it to something, unless we talk to somebody about it. When we think about working memory, we have to realize that this limited capacity has lots of different impacts on us. Have you ever walked from one room to another and then forgotten why you're there? You do know the solution to that, right? You go back to that original room. Have you ever forgotten your keys? Have you ever forgotten your car? Have you ever forgotten your kids? Have you ever been involved in a conversation and you realize that the conversation to your left is actually more interesting? So you're nodding and you're smiling, but you're really paying attention to this one over here until you hear that last word go up and you realize you've been asked a question. And you're really hoping the answer is no, because that's what you're about to say, okay? All of that talks about working memory, what we can do and what we can't do. We need to realize that working memory has a limited capacity and that working memory capacity itself is how we negotiate that. We negotiate that through strategies. So what I want to do is talk a little bit about a couple of strategies here. And these will be really important because you are now in a information target-rich environment for the next several days. Now the first part of this is that we need to think about and we need to process our existence, our life, immediately and repeatedly. We need to process what's going on the moment it happens. Not 10 minutes later, not a week later, at the moment. So we need to think about, well, do I agree with him? What's missing? What would I like to know? Do I agree with the assumptions? How can I apply this in my life? It's a way of processing what's going on so that we can use it later. Now, we also need to repeat it. We need to practice. So we need to think about it here. In between, we want to talk to people about it. You're going to write it down. When you get home, pull out those notes and think about them and end up practicing over time. Practice, for some reason, became a very negative thing. It's very positive. The next thing is we need to think elaboratively and we need to think illustratively. Oftentimes we think that we have to relate new knowledge to prior knowledge. What we want to do is spin that around. We want to take all of our existence and wrap it around that new knowledge and make all of these connections and it becomes more meaningful. We also want to use imagery. We are built for images. We need to take advantage of that. Think about things in images. Write things down that way. If you read a book, pull things up. I just got through reading The Great Gatsby and I have a perfect idea of what he looks like in my head. So my own version. The last one is organization and support. We are meaning-making machines. It's what we do. We try to make meaning out of everything that happens to us. Organization helps. So we need to structure what we're doing in ways that make sense. If we are providing knowledge and experience, we need to structure that. And the last one is support. We all start as novices. 
Everything we do is an approximation of sophistication. We should expect it to change over time. We have to support that. The support may come in asking people questions, giving them a sheet of paper that has uh, an organizational chart on it or has some uh, guiding images, but we need to support it. Now, the final piece of this, the take-home message from a working memory capacity standpoint is this. What we process, we learn. If we're not processing life, we're not living it. Live life. Thank you. Working memory is really important to the learning process. But some students, and adults even, struggle with working memory. And so here are some signs that they might be having difficulty with working memory. So one of these is the need to have material repeated to them. So if they don't get it the first time, they need it repeated again. They go to work, they ask the question again, and you're getting annoyed. But it may be a fact that their working memory may not be helping them to remember it. And so they have to keep asking that question. A second thing is they have difficulty following multiple steps. So if you give them seven steps to do something and they get to step number two or three, they may really struggle. Um, and so if you give them too many steps, then a person with working memory issues may struggle to, to do, to do uh, what you're asking them to do. The third thing is need for more time. So they may need more time than your average student to get things done because they're really struggling to pull from their working memory what they need, or they have to look it up again, or they have to ask the question again. The fourth thing is that they make silly mistakes. So this, these are the kids in math that make really careless errors or kids in grammar or spelling that make really careless errors. And so um, we wanna make sure that, they, that they, those mistakes are not necessarily on purpose. Those mistakes may be a result of having issues with working memory. Another one is text, test anxiety. Uh, test anxiety comes, especially with multiple choice questions, because this requires a lot of working memory. And so when you get those types of test questions, people who struggle with that are not going to do well on multiple choice. If you give them an essay, they may be able to knock it out of the park. But it's this remembering that they're really struggling with, the working memory aspect. It could be that it shows up in um, the difficulty of them waiting their turn. So they're impulsive, they want to go in front of others, they want to raise their hands and shout things out. Sometimes it's because if they don't shout it out, they might forget it. And so if, they, if they're not called on immediately or they're not able to go right away, then they're going to forget and they're not going to get to share what they wanted to share. Um, another thing is that um, it may sh they may show slow progress. Um, even though they're working really hard. So they may work really, really hard, and yet they're not really moving that fast. And so that might be a result of working memory issues. And so the question becomes, what can you as a teacher, how, what strategies can you employ in the classroom to be intentional about teaching working memory? Not just to students who struggle with working memory, but students in general. I mean, we use a lot of working memory, and yet as teachers, how many strategies are we providing students to memorize these things? We ask them to memorize things, but are we get then giving them some strategies to help with this? So the first strategy I want to talk about is playing memory games. Just like I showed at the beginning of this video, we played a memory game. And so doing things that, that ask kids to remember things, like if you're asking kids to remember the 50 states and you give them a map and you ask them to write as many states as they can, or you know, if you have younger students and you're trying to get them to remember colors or information from a book, um, but 
the actual game of memory is an excellent one. This is the one you have cards and there are different pictures on there and you're trying to match the pairs. And so playing a game like that can be really helpful for boosting working memory. A second strategy is letting students teach. In order for, we know this as teachers, in order to be able to teach something, you have to remember it. You have to know it because you're going to be telling others about it. And so what this does is this allows students to, that, to move it from the working memory into something they're going to actually use. And so that they are taking that what they've learned and they're going to, have to teach it to someone else. So they have to remember it enough to be able to do that. So that's going to make things more sticky for them. It's going to make them remember it more because they have to teach it. A third thing is active reading. We tell kids to read all the time, but do we ask questions of them? And I don't mean comprehension questions, although you can ask comprehension questions as well. But like, are we, are we asking questions about what's going on? Are we looking at the big picture when it comes to what's going on? Are we, are we asking questions of, of trying to predict what might happen? So active reading is not just reading, but it's reading with purpose. It's not reading to get it done, but it's reading to look for certain things. And so teaching students how to highlight or to take notes or to write in the margins, uh, but doing this active reading is going to allow them to go back and find what they've read a lot quicker. Because how many times have you read a book and you get to the end and you, rem you, you don't remember entire chapters of things because there's a lot to, to take in. And so we can only take in, that's the thing about working memories, we can only take in so much uh, before it starts to spill over and we're forgetting things. This is why as teachers, we often will forget student names for the very next year. We can't remember a student's name. We see them in the store and we can't replace their name because we've had to remember another 150 names. So we can only remember so many of those names before the bucket gets full. The fourth thing, and this isn't a lot of our strategies, but it's chunking. And so it's easier to remember things when they're in smaller portions. So rather than saying, hey, I want you to memorize all of the amendments in the Constitution, okay, just start with one and have them then have them take that working memory and trying to get a basic understanding of that. Uh, but you don't want to ask them too much at one time. So chunk things into smaller parts. Another thing is you want them to be able to use multi-sensory cues. So for those of you who are a certain age, you know the Schoolhouse Rock songs, and you can probably sing them right now. I can sing the uh, conjunction, junction, what's your function, and but and or. They'll get you really far. I remember that because it's to the tune of a, of a song. How many times have you heard a song on the radio, and you haven't heard it for decades, and yet you can still remember the lyrics, you can still remember the words to the song. Although if you were asked on the spot, you wouldn't remember that. The music acts as a cue. And there are other mnemonic clues that you can use. Like, for example, when we're looking at north, east, west, south. So never eat soggy waffles, okay, if we're going around. Or if we're going the news route, N-E-W-S. So there are different mnemonic devices that we can use to help kids remember things. Um, and so we want to make sure that we, we help students with those by having these mnemonic devices, whether it's a song, whether it's, you know, an acronym, whatever it is, but these can, these can make things stickier. Um, and so for the longest time, I couldn't remember the difference between two, two T-O and two T-O-O. And then someone said to me, well, T-O-O just means it's the same as also. So I just replace it. So now I can remember that every single time because I've got it in my head. Oh, I can replace that. T-O-O with an also. If I can replace it with an also, it's the T-O-O. Okay. 
So we have to we have to kind of train ourselves to to learn some of these things. Another thing is we want to make sure that we reduce multitasking. You saw in the very beginning where I was talking and you were trying to look at things at this. We do this as teachers all the time. We're talking at students and then we're expecting them to do things at the same time. That multitasking is not an effective way to learn. Taking things one at a time and really concentrating and focusing and trying to understand what you're doing is the best way to learn. But and I know some people claim I'm really good at multitasking and you may be good at it, but no one is great at multitasking because multitasking is really, really challenging. You're going to do all of the things pretty well, but none of them excellent. And so we need to get rid of multitasking with students and trying to get them to focus on one thing at a time. We want to, we want to make sure we use visual information. So not just when we're, we can't just speak to them. We need to write it up on the board. We need to show them a, a, a visual of some sort that helps them to remember it. They say that the picture is worth a thousand words. And so if that they can lock that picture in, they can remember all these words as a result. So this is why sometimes when we teach, we need to use visual reminders. Um, because as we've talked about in previous Todd talks, there are people learning different ways. We have visual learners and auditory learners and reading and writers and, you know, kinesthetic. And so making sure that you are delivering that message in multiple ways is going to be really important. Summarizing information. So when you cover a big chunk of information, do you go back and summarize that? Do you, do you encapsulate it into something that's more, that's easier to remember rather than all this information? Can you like boil it down to like a single sentence or paragraph or an idea that they can remember? So helping them to summarize information. Probably the most important one of these though is making connections, okay? Showing the relevance. And this is why. What we eventually want to do is take the working memory and move it into the long-term memory. This is the things that you do remember. These are the things that you don't have to worry about holding it in your head for the short term. So this is the difference between like someone giving them their, your phone number or their phone number and you remember it long enough to call them, but then you forget it as opposed to remembering someone's phone number all the time. And so I know in today's day and age, that's more and more difficult because everything's in our cell phone and we don't have to memorize it, but like there are some times you're going to be without your cell phone. You may need to know certain numbers. Um, I always joke, we always joke like the one, you know, I, the one thing I learned in college was my social security number. Why? Because we had to give it all the time when we were going to the, 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 um, to get our food or the bursar or whatever. We always had to give our, we were, so it was re repeating it over and over and over until it went from working memory into our long-term memory. And so we remember those things. So that's the really important one. So as a teacher, there are, and I talked about strategies you can give your students to try to remember these things, but there are things that you specifically can do. So some of these are speak less. When you speak too much, it's a lot of information to take in. Can you speak in chunks? Can you give them, I, I always use the acronym KISS, keep it super simple. Like give them some basics, let them do some work, and then give them some more. And I'm not saying to walk them through step by step by step. What I'm saying is don't give them like 30 minutes worth of directions and then expect them to follow those directions because there was a lot in there. So could we give them just a few directions and then let them get to work and then follow up with that? We want to be able to check for understanding. And how do we do this? We quiz students or we, we make sure that we are um, asking them follow-up questions to try to help them remember this. So this is why when we have students read books in, in, in our classes, we then ask questions about this. Now, we shouldn't be doing quizzes 
and grading them on whether they did the reading. We should just be checking for comprehension. This is why when you do, um, when you're learning things, sometimes online, they'll have quizzes all the time throughout. That's trying to get the, the working memory to stick a little bit more. This, these are purposeful when they do this. I'm not a huge fan of quizzes. I'm not a fan of quizzes at all for grades, but I am a fan of quizzes for helping to remember. So doing those quizzes lets them apply what they have, what they're remembering, and it helps them to make it stick more with them. Um, repetition of tasks. So doing, I talked about this before in the other one, but like think about brushing your teeth. You brush your teeth without even thinking about it. You just do it. You just know how to do it. You tie your shoe without even thinking about it. You just know how to do it. Why? Because you've taken the working memory and, and taken it to the longer term memory because you repeated those tasks over and over and over. Now, we don't want to repeat so much in the classroom where kids get bored or we don't get repeat so many times if a kid's ready to move on to the next thing. But we do need to find that sweet spot of repeating it enough to where kids are going to remember it because it's been brought up several times. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'll have an essential question and I'll say it at the very beginning of a lesson and never say it again and kids get to the end and they have forgotten what that essential question was. And they've kind of gone on in another, another place I didn't want them to go. It would have benefited me to repeat that essential question, maybe at the beginning of every class, to have it written on the board, to have it on the, the uh, syllabus or the worksheets that they're getting. But having this repetition over and over and over is going to help them keep that in their head, help to remind them. Um, giving directions in multiple formats. So I talked about when you're talking at them for 30 minutes, but are you also giving them written directions? Are you also giving them, you know, someplace where they like a sheet of paper where they can put it in there and then refer back to that when they need that? Because sometimes we may forget what it is we've been asked to do. And so being have that have that as a reference is a really good thing. So as a teacher, don't just give them verbal directions. Give them written directions on the board. Give them something to put in their hands, things like that to help them to remember. And then we want to make sure that we uh, we can also use what are called edge protocols. And this kind of ties in with the idea of checking for understanding. But this is gamification. So this is taking what they've learned and kind of turning it to a game. So uh, in, in some of the more popular ones are like Quizlet. And uh, another one is um, uh, Kahoot. And these are kids love to play these games. But what they don't realize is that they're taking their working memory and getting a better understanding of it. Okay. So we want to have the, those types of things to help, again, keep it in the heads of kids. So working memory is a really important thing with students, but it's in, in some students, again, so if you have a kid who's ADHD, their working memory is going to be a lot lower than someone who maybe is not. And so we have to be aware of the working memory of our students and then offer supports for the working memory. I'll give you a perfect example. As an, I'm an adult, I have really big working memory issues. So I, I cannot remember anything. Um, we'll be watching a show with my kids and we'll, I'll say, oh, this, this is a really interesting show. I've never seen it before. And they're like, dad, you watched it three times. So I know for a fact that this is a weakness of mine. And I, as an adult, I have developed coping mechanisms to help me with this executive functioning skill. And so we need to do the same thing for our students to offer these supports. So for example, um, and some of these are, are, are really obvious ones, it would seem, but maybe ones you don't think about. So one of them is that developing routines. So for example, I always put my credit card in the same spot in my wallet. I always put my phone in the same spot when I go home. I always put my shoes in the same spot. This way I can find them. I don't have to remember where my shoes are because they're always in the same spot. And so 
Routines are really important to me, and they're also really important to students that have difficulty with working memory. The kid that loses their pencil all the time, the kid that you know can't find their lunch. Do they have a routine where they put those things so that they're easier to find? Because they were always expecting, I know when I open my wallet and the credit card's not there, I left it somewhere, which I've done before. Because it's not in the spot I always put it in. You know, and I fight with my kids and my wife all the time on they, they developing routines because they, they, they can't find, my daughters can't find their phones all the time. I'm like, put it in the same place every time and then you're going to find it. So I always know where to find things because I have a routine. Not because I remember, but because I have this routine that allows me to do that. A second thing, uh, making lists and notes. This is outsourcing. In other words, you don't necessarily have to memorize everything. Write it down. Uh, I have post-it notes all over my desk because I know when I get something, if I don't write it down, it may be gone. So I, I make notes. I, I try to, and then of course you can lose post-it notes. So I'll write on my hands. Sometimes I'll write in pen on my hand or, or I may put it on my phone on my um, notepad. So I'm not, no, I'm not going to lose that. So writing notes, uh, making lists, highlighting, things like this help me to remember. And they're going to help your students to remember as well. So get them in the habit of using their agenda or writing assignments down or, you know, the students that struggle with the working memory, help them to do these things, helping help them with that organization, because those, these kind of go hand in hand. Sometimes a lot of these executive functioning skills overlap with one another. And that's a perfect example. Another thing is I have learned to do things immediately. When my wife says to me, do this, my task initiation kicks in like that because I know if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. So if she says, hey, can you take this down the basement? And I'll say, sure, sure, I'll get it later. And then she's still sitting there later and she's like, why didn't you take it down the basement? I've learned through, as an adult to just get up and do what I'm asked to do. And so with your, your students with working memory issues, you want to also work on their task initiation so that they get started on things right away so that they're not forgetting what they're supposed to do. It's when they it's when they wait. It's when they don't do those things that it becomes an, an issue with the working memory. Um, avoid overexcitabilities, and you, you do this in the class as well. So I like to play classical music in my classroom to help kids to focus, but I don't put music that has lyrics because that can cause over uh, overexcitabilities. Okay, when I'm at a, a sports bar and I'm trying to talk to somebody, and there's televisions all over the place, there's music playing, there's other conversations. That is very difficult for me as someone with a working memory issue because there's so much going on that I'm so distracted and, and your ADHD students are going to have this as well. They, they become distracted very easy. So try to get rid of these over these um, over excitabilities or this overstimulation in the classroom and try to make it an environment where it's easier to remember things. The last thing is, and this is an, a really obvious one, but getting enough sleep and exercising are, you know, when my mind is tired, I have real difficult remembering things. Like sometimes I can't remember uh, someone I've known for years and I'm having a conversation with them and I can't remember their name because my mind is tired. So keeping your mind fresh, keeping your mind rested is a good way to help with working memory as well. And so these are workarounds that you might want to consider. So when it comes to working memory, there are several things that you can do in the classroom. But make sure that you are having some of these strategies to help students that are struggling with working memory and also having um, making sure that you give them you're, you're supporting them and giving them kind of what I would call workarounds for their working memory. So you may not be able to improve the working memory of a student, but you can show them ways to cope with that. You can show ways to 
you know, work around that so that they can take this, this lack of a working memory, but still be able to function. Now, in order to take educational theory and turn it educational practice, we are going to play a game of Kahoot. And this game of Kahoot is designed to help you to remember some of the things we talked about in this working memory Todd talk. So the first question is, what type of memory is working memory? Is it short term, long term, used for cognitive tasks, or is it used for memorization? The answer is it's used for cognitive tasks. So we use it in order to apply it. So it's not necessarily short term, um, but we have to be able to hold it in our heads long enough to be able to apply that, that particular um, skill. Which is not a sign that a student might struggle with working memory. They need things repeated, they have careless mistakes, they get frequent headaches or impulsiveness. The answer is frequent headaches. Although some students might get frequent he headaches, it's not necessarily a sign that they're struggling with their working memory, but the other ones are certainly are. Why is having students teaching a good strategy for working memory? Because they have to remember to understand. It allows them to work with others. The retention rates are much lower or gives them responsibility. You have to remember to understand so in order to understand something and teach it to others, you really have to know it. So you have to remember it. So it helps with that working memory, which is not an example of active reading. It's highlighting, answering questions about the reading, taking notes, or reading aloud. Reading aloud is not, and even though it sounds like active reading, it's not really. It's not helping you to remember it necessarily. So the other ones are all examples of ways to help you to remember what you're reading. What is the strategy of breaking things down into smaller, more palatable parts? Is it downsizing, chunking, stringing, or an essential question? The answer is chunking. When we chunk things, it's easier for them to remember because there are smaller bits of it rather than a whole. Next question, which is not a way to summarize information to remember better. An essential question, a big idea, chunking, or a summary. In this case, chunking is not correct. So chunking is not a way to help remember, uh, summarize information necessarily. So the other ones are ways to summarize that information. Chunking is a form of taking all the information, putting it in smaller parts. So it's not summarizing necessarily. What is the stickiest way to take working memory and move it to long-term memory? Is it repetition? Relevance, review, or regurgitation. Although you can make an argument for reputation or rep repetition or review, relevance is the one that makes it stickiest because relevance helps students to apply these, these skills to their own lives, which then makes them uh, understand them better because it, it has something to do with them. The next question, this Kahoot is a form of gamification, check for understanding, edge of protocol, or all of the above. And the answer, of course, is all of the above. It is doing all of these things. It's gamifying what you learn. It's checking for your understanding. And it is a form of an edge of pro protocol. What is not a hack for helping someone with working memory issues? Making lists, disciplining, having routines, or avoiding overexcitabilities. Disciplining, uh, because we don't want to discipline kids for having poor working memory issues. We want to help them. We want to support them. We want to come up with coping mechanisms. And making lists, having routines, and avoiding overexcitabilities are all ways that students can cope with this issue. 
Lastly, by doing this Kahoot, we are taking educational theory and turning it into educational workaround, gamification, practice, or strategies. And I'm sure you got this one correct. It is practice. So we're turning into educational practice.